episode two of the Big Sky Boneheads podcast. My name is Michael Gray. He's Scott Hershey. We've got Dan Mortensen, rodeo legend. And uh, one of my old uh, high school Billing Senior High alumni. How many people that you went to high school with have their own statue? One. Dan Mortensen is going to be on the podcast. <laughs> I've only ta- I had to think about it for a minute. I've only talked to two people in my entire radio career, which is now like 25 years, that have their own statue. It's him and Tom Osborne, the head coach of the Nebraska Cornhuskers. From back in the 90s when they were winning natties. I've uh, known Dan in a roundabout way. I'm not going to pretend we're best friends, but I've known him uh, since he was in about fifth or sixth grade. Uh, We have mutual friends. My brother was on the same wrestling team. It's going to be fun to talk to him. Yeah, man. uh, It's a a fantastic conversation. Looking forward to that coming up. There's also some other things. This is a podcast about Montana and our governor, Greg Gianforte, in the news. We made mention of this a week ago. And, and it's come up again uh, locally through some papers here in Montana and nationally on a lot of news feeds about the governor taking part in a legal mountain lion hunt, which is a thing here in Montana. The, mm-hmm. lo- the locals understand this, uh, but people around the country conflicted about it. And he, uh, he took a cat outside of uh, somewhere outside of the Yellowstone boundary. It was a collared cat. And there've been, there's been some chatter that just proves the incuriosity of people from other parts of the universe either geographically or in in case of some of the local chatter politically and the cat had uh, a collar on it uh, right i mean just some things close to the park which is what what's close i don't know i that cat could have been a hundred miles from the park well and it doesn't matter no it if, doesn't. It, if no. it's if it's 10 feet outside of the boundary of yellowstone national and if you're not familiar yellowstone national is in terms of landmass equivalent to delaware and rhode island combined mm-hmm. it's a big chunk of land the other thing that happened just a day ago here in Montana is they found another collared cat that had been that had been harvested by a hunter, and it was wearing a tag from Shadron, Nebraska. Yeah, they move. And that's far. <laughs> I've driven from Nebraska to Montana, and it's a haul. So they can get the, the, the idea that he was collared somewhere, that the cat was from somewhere, only means something to humans. It doesn't mean anything to the animal, they can range thousands of miles. Well, and the idea that somehow hunting an animal outside of Yellowstone National Park is uh, unethical is not true either because right. it happens all the time with uh, elk that migrate in and out of the park, wolves move in and out of the park. Right next to Yellowstone National Park is some really good hunting areas, and it has nothing to do with the boundary or people waiting you know, for these some animal to jump a fence we're not i've hunted down there you're not right next to the fence waiting there's the areas out they move a long way so you know all of these criticism are unfair and if you have a problem with our governor for other reasons uh, okay but this isn't it well and i think that's that's reflected because like i said regionally there's a genuine incuriosity about the difference between life here and i understand that there are people even people that understand the idea of hunting as a pastime that still have still make the the stink face when when predator hunting comes up mm-hmm. because you think of hunting oh you're going to eat the thing and if you're not going to eat the thing then why are you killing the thing you're just being mean but if you haven't lived in the mountain west if you don't understand predator control if you don't understand the populations of these animals and the way that they have the way that they are thriving then it's that's something you need to consider locally and we had a an editor for one of the the regional magazines and uh, newspapers here write a a garbage article about and he mentioned it was a yellowstone cat it was a yellowstone cat it was yellow like it's a part of a team or it was wearing a uniform or mm-hmm. something if you're opposed to someone politically 
and you choose to see everything they do in the unkindest possible light, that's on you. Yeah, and if he in the headline, he called the governor this incident, this right. particular incident, uh, shooting a legal mountain this, lion. This was a hunt. He called it a national embarrassment. Oh, and it's not a national embarrassment. It's only an embarrassment to the people who already didn't like Governor Gianforte. And that's all. That's got nothing to do with lion hunting. Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with park boundaries. That has nothing to do with any of those issues. It's 100% political. And if you find yourself politically allied with somebody else and you choose to do that, that's on you. But you can't confuse that with reality. And this guy claims to be a conservationist mm-hmm. um, and I think just exposed himself. And, and this... This has actually taken people who don't like GM Forte because of his politics sure. and had a lot of them say, he's not wrong here. He, he did something legal. Sure. Like, so part of the base that doesn't like GM Forte is, is okay with this hunt, as they should be, but the ones who still are really up in arms about it are going to be the ones who didn't like him in the first place. And again, if, you're, if you don't understand... Uh, predator hunting if you're if you're not on board with that that's a conversation that we could certainly have mm-hmm. um you know and and i think that there is a, a general understanding if you're a genuinely curious person and you have an interest in understanding something that you don't currently understand i think that's that's a conversation we can have if it's just an opportunity uh in the eyes of anybody and this this works on both sides of the political aisle to take shots at somebody you already don't like and declare anything they do is bad and stupid and wrong then that's on you that's a you problem because there's nothing about that you could have done this right i could have done this Mm -hmm. anybody with a legal tag could have done this and uh i you know i know gianforte has the history of the uh, the wolf hunt without a tag yeah it was in violation there were some definite uh problems there yeah he he was in violation yep. and and did the things that he had to do to get get right with the self-reported on that one with the state he got right like any like any hunter could mm-hmm. and then he goes out and he does this again it's such a it, it's such an enormous part of the culture here it is unique to this area idaho wyoming montana uh i don't i'm not surprised that a lot of people don't understand it i'm not i'm not surprised that people are unaware that the populations of some of these predators is not only not endangered but so far from it that there's that there are in many cases too many and and no animal out there in the wild dies of old age right none of them and a conservationist by the guy who did the column uh should know that this is the only effective way of controlling mountain lion populations if they're not hunted uh there's a lot of mountain lions especially around our area where we are here right (laughs) now around the helen area there's a ton of mountain lions out there. You can't hunt them on foot. You can't spot and stalk. Tree stands aren't going right. to do it. Uh, tracking with hounds is really the only effective way. And so, you know, when you see those stories, if you're if you're listening around the country and you're unfamiliar, do yourself the favor of of looking up some of the regulations. Do some of the reading, and and be very wary of some of the attention grabbing headlines. There are there are clickbait articles out there on both sides of the issue. And the truth of the matter is that the vast majority of sportsmen in the state, the governor included in this case, mm-hmm. conduct themselves in accordance with regulations. They go about following the letter of the law because it's important. It's important to all of us to do this stuff and do it right. And this this is such a it's an example of a non story being drummed <laughs> up by people that want to be drummed up about one or two issues. Yep. This is a legal hunt. He claimed a legal cat in a legal way. The, the guy with the article referenced Wyoming. It's illegal to do. Okay, but he wasn't hunting in Wyoming. No, he wasn't. He was, It was a Yellowstone cat. No, it wasn't on Yellowstone. It wasn't there. That You're <laughs> 0 for 2. Nobody would ever shoot a collared cat. Happens literally every year. Because the only, the, the only people who care less about the collar on the cat than the guy taking the cat is the cat. 
They, right. they they don't. It's not like they wear it and go like, oh, well, now certain neighborhoods are off limits. No, they take off. Yeah. And they cover a lot of ground. Again, there was one just here from Nebraska. Moving yeah. trucks can't make that trip without a gas stop. I mean, it's yeah. it's a hike. So much to do about nothing. Uh, th- exactly, and and a way to share somebody in an unkind light if you choose to. The opposite end of that spectrum, uh, somebody who's getting a ton of love nationally that um, people are just catching up on. And I say this as a guy who did sports radio for a long time. Troy Anderson, yeah, uh, blowing up the NFL scouting combine from Montana State, and maybe locking himself into like a day two second third round draft position yeah he's a dylan kid he's played for msu for four years he's played running back he's played quarterback he wanted to be a linebacker the whole time but they needed him at these other <laughs> positions he played both ways at a at msu uh, right. you don't hear a lot about the uh, players like that anymore great kid has great athletic tools he's kind of uh i i expect uh msu is going to get their spotlight kind of like eastern washington is with cooper cup we all knew who watched Big Sky Football what Cooper Cup was. None of us is surprised by Cooper Cup's success. Now, he's taken it to another level. Right. But Troy Anderson is something that everybody in the Big Sky was already aware of, and now he's out there on a national stage doing exactly what we watched him do for four years. Well, and it was one of those things that occurred to me, uh, like North Dakota State. Uh, nobody's surprised to see that Bison logo now at the NFL Combine. When you see some of these guys now that end up in the league, North Dakota State, even though it's, it's not a Power 5 school, they're generating pro players all the time, and it's no small coincidence that Montana State got to share some time with them in the championship game down in Frisco, Texas, uh, where Troy Anderson played. And he did himself a ton of good, uh, not just with what he put on tape at Montana State, but then he went to the Combine with everybody from everywhere. Yeah, and he's got all those those positive things that we know comes out of Montana with a lot of these athletes that reach the NFL. Uh, most, I mean, if not all of the uh, of the guys who recently and in, in the last couple of decades came to the NFL from Montana, good work ethic, tough guys, great people, represent their teams well, represent themselves well, and represent the state well. Troy Anderson's another one of those guys, just like the guy we're going to talk to a little bit later on this show, Casey Fitzsimmons. A lot of similarities. Yeah, you get guys like that in there. It doesn't hurt, though, that he's testing with a guy like Devin Lloyd, who is mm-hmm. a name everybody knows as a you know he's a power five standout he ran a faster 40 his vertical was the same his broad jump was better so all of the all of the try hard stuff you know i mean it's uh i'm trying to think of the guy's name the uh, sportscaster he does all of the the white guy superlatives like oh he's a gym rat and he's he's a try hard grinder and you know all of that well it's not just that with troy anderson no and he made a great name for himself at the Senior Bowl first, where he turned some heads there, made some good impressions, yep. and then the Combine kind of elevated him. Now there are some people talking about a second-round NFL draft pick, possibly. Yeah, he could get up He could get up there. And and not to be left out, too, uh, Chad Muma from Wyoming. He's another guy who had himself a nice little Combine. Uh, he didn't do what Troy Anderson did, but some of those guys here from local schools showing out, and you know, it'd be, it'd be really, really cool. Small-town Montana kid. Yeah go all the way up to the NFL coming up in uh, a week from now the next episode we'll talk to a kid that did it and the fans are going to love Troy Anderson oh, oh, yeah. wherever he goes yep yep a heck of a guy team first and and one of those guys that is worth keeping track of so uh, listen for that name sometime it could be day 2 yeah, and McShea called him a uh, day one starter, and that's high praise, and we can all wait and see if that happens, Yeah, but it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility. Well, that's the expectation. You get taken in the second or third round, NFL scouts and coaches think highly enough of you to put you in the mix. They expect you to compete for a spot. 
on opening day, and it would just be an amazing rise, not just for him, but for that whole Montana State program. We're all cheering for him now, even the Grizz fans. And uh, I know that <laughs> you say say all of this, man, yeah, this is Montana State guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm good to cheer for him now. Absolutely. I hope he doesn't um, sign with the Vikings. I so. hope he doesn't <laughs> sign with the Packers. So we have that in common. So that's a little bit of the goings-on around here this week. We are honored to have an opportunity to talk to a guy who is in – I'm not overselling this. When you get your own statue, you're a legend – and uh, here is our conversation with rodeo legend Dan Morton. One of the keystones to the state, rodeo. Mm-hmm. And so you start talking about rodeo, and you want to find somebody who's done something in rodeo, and we found somebody who did everything. Uh, <laughs> 1997 Rodeo Hall of Fame entrant, 2001 Calgary Stampede Guy Wiedek Award winner, 2004 MSU Bozeman Athletic Hall of Fame, the 2009 Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame. This is going to take a while. 15 Montana Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame and Wall of Fame. Oh, yeah, six time world saddle bronc championship winner uh what did i leave out dan mortensen welcome to the show oh good to be with you guys thank you that is very humble of course responses go to that litany of awards my goodness (laughs) dan dan and i uh, go back a little ways i i i I went to school with dan and uh, dan and my brother on the same wrestling team but uh i gotta tell you dan among the uh the people that i know that went to school billing senior high in those uh, mid 80s you're the only one I know with a bronze statue out in front of Metra. Uh, first of all, what was that like to have to see your likeness out there? It was a little weird. Um, <laughs> they contacted me about it, and I was pretty unsure. took a couple of years before uh, I kind of relented and, and said we could do it. But it's it's for a good cause. Like at the Hall and Wall of Fame, is to recognize people in the Western lifestyle, not only rodeo, but ranch, ranching families and individuals from the state of Montana. Now, the only thing I'm familiar with in terms of statues and things of that nature is uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and there's the big unveil, and it's the first time that the player sees what's supposed to be a statue of themselves, and a lot of times, they're terrible. Now, did you get to be involved? Are you are you there working with them? Like, all right, look, man, my hat's not that big. You need to do this. Uh, did, you get, did you get to be involved with something like that? No, I didn't. I, I got to see it before it was cast in bronze. I went and saw that. I think it was clay, the clay figure, but... I provided some photos, and they made kind of a compilation. So I, I was actually off rodeo at the time. Well, Dan's been interviewed about rodeo for, I mean, so many times. I, you know, I know you've done this a million times. You know, I want to talk a little bit about the kind of the beginnings, uh, because I, I, like I said, we, I, I've, I saw you ride steers when you were in uh, grade school, the very end of grade school, middle school. You started riding animals at a very young age. When did you know that this was it? This is what you were made to do, and this is what you were going to do really know it until well, probably when I was in college to me it was just something fun to do uh, I got to, you know I started rodeoing when I was about 11 my folks had some horses when I was young you know when I was young um, and I I just enjoyed riding and and being outside and then kind of got involved with youth rodeo when I was about 11 12 years old settled on bull riding by the time I was in high school and then added saddle bronc riding my senior year of high school. And so when I went into college, I rode bulls and broncs both, but I never even imagined you could make a living or, or kind of do it as a career. So uh, that came a lot, a lot later in life. How does that conversation go with your parents? Cause I say this as someone who's, uh, I've got a son who's exactly 11 years old right now. And every time he sees anything dangerous of any kind, doesn't matter whether it's bull riding, parachutes, trick jumps, whatever it is, 
Yeah, I want to do that. I want to do that. And I'm like, okay, yeah, 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 you want to do that. I don't think you're going to do that. But um, when you when you have that conversation as it goes along and you get more serious, how's that go with your with your folks and the support you got from your family? They, my parents were actually very supportive of my rodeo. Um, you know, when you're in high school and rodeoing, they had to haul me around the state quite a bit. You know, it was most of them were within 100 miles radius of, of Billings until I got later in high school. Ironically, my dad didn't want me to play football in high school and, <laughs> and high because he had gotten hurt playing football, but he was all right with me riding bulls. <laughs> <laughs> and you also were a wrestler. And I wrestled too. And, um, you know, I wrestled for a long time, which just puts you in great shape. So like later in high school, the wrestling, you know, I was kind of more thinking on the lines of rodeo at the time, but the wrestling just kept you in outstanding shape. A lot of people wouldn't know this by just watching you in your rodeo career and when you were uh, going to national finals and winning world championships. But in high school, you were you were very small and you were one of the lightest wrestlers on the team. I was little. I wrestled <laughs> 98 pounds my sophomore year and 105 my junior year. So I was I was a little guy. As you make your way through the rankings, what, what kind of peers do you have? Do, I mean, are there is this something you were doing with other kids at school? Did this put you on an island? Did you just make friends in the rodeo world? How's that work when you're that young? There wasn't really anybody else going to school, you know, especially at senior. I think I was the only kid at senior that was rodeoing. Um, and most of it was in the summer. So, I, you know, I got to do it quite a bit in the summer. And, uh I was, I guess I was kind of a loner, spent a lot of time out in the corrals with, with a horse. That was probably my best friend in high school, but I, you know, I was in, uh, FFA and there's a lot of kind of agriculture minded kids there. Um, and then, you know, had some friends throughout rodeo. And in rodeo, you reached obviously the, the pinnacle, uh, winning world championships, but you were also involved with that. You were able to get big sponsorships. You were able to, uh, be involved with national companies and national brands. And, uh, and sometimes I'm sure that that kind of took you out of your comfort zone to go and, and, and appear with those companies. It did. Like I was one of the first guys that signed what I thought was kind of a big deal, um, we signed a, I signed a deal with DeWalt. It was the original contract was Clint Bronger and myself and Mark Garrett kind of set up as a team concept. And I wore a black and yellow shirt, said DeWalt down the sleeves. Um, you know, it's, and there's a lot more of it in rodeo now. There's just a lot more opportunity with sponsors, but it's, uh, it's great. It's great, great on both ends. You know, the sponsors really know their target audience. And if they're involved in rodeo, there's a certain kind of western lifestyle or a certain group of people are targeting very very close uh demographics to nascar i think usually the people that the, the companies that want to be involved in rodeo and sponsoring rodeo have done their research and they know what their what audience are targeting so there's a lot more opportunities nowadays and Dan, that feels like the secret to growing rodeo. I mean, at the end of the day, it does come down to money. Money makes opportunities. You know, if you were to draw up a plan for the next five to 10 years and, and continue to grow the sport, what do you think is the secret there? Well, I think the television aspect, you know, plays a big role too. So just getting it on, you know, the more you can get it on TV, the more you can get it out. Because we're, you know, the sport of rodeo is truly, it's uh, it's competing against other sporting events as well you know we we're competing against the nfl the nba nhl everybody um and you got to put a good product out there 
So I, you know, that was, the, the more I, the longer I was in rodeo, the obviously the more you learn, the more you become familiar with all the different aspects, you know, you're looking at it from the producer side, from the committee side, as well as the contestant side, and then the sponsor side. Um, so you, you know, there's a lot of different uh, entities involved with the sport and it takes years and years to, to figure that out. So many people or so many guys that are competing, you know, they're just looking at it through the, through the eyes of a contestant only. So um, putting a good product out, something that people want to watch and or, or, you know, can compete against other sports is crucial for the advancement of rodeo. So how do you take a, a cowboy and make him more of a businessman? What do you, where do you think that starts? <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't, the PRCA, like our association, hasn't done that that great of a job of doing that. I don't think. Um, and and it's like anything; they kind of go in one direction for a while, and then they seem to change and go in a different direction. But hopefully, you know what? And when it comes down to it, nowadays, what I'm what I am encouraged about is the individuals that are involved in the sport of rodeo, like the young guys coming up, young guys and gals. Uh, there's just great people involved in the sport and and kind of always has been very um uh what you know what i can consider they respect the history and the heritage of the sport um so i'm happy with the with the future of the sport because of the you know the young crop of individuals coming up in it now, uh, let's talk a little bit about the National Finals Rodeo. It's one of the most unique events in, in sports. Uh, it is one of the most grueling things in sports. Uh, it decides the season. Uh, it, the, the world champions are based on on money, and, and, and how you do at the uh, National Finals is, is paramount to that. Ten nights of getting on the back of, of for bulls for bull riders and for you, Saddle Bronx. Uh, what was your first experience uh, like at the National Finals Rodeo when you got to do it ten times in a row? my first year at the finals i did not do very well i think i placed in the first round in the 10th round and i was going to school at the time i was uh, going to college at montana state and i probably should have went home and and gone to classes the middle eight rounds (laughs) Um, but i you know i learned a lot and uh and come back and and did better at actually the second my second year in pro rodeo i did not make the nfr and then i made it I guess, 15 years consecutively after that until I was kind of done. Um, but it's it's funny, like, I remember sitting in the locker room and it was after Ty Murray, it was a year after he won his seventh all-around title. And, you know, he was used to going there and competing in three events. And, uh, you know, you go to the locker Bronc riders probably have it the easiest. They take the least abuse of the Rustock events. The bull riders obviously have it the worst, but bareback riders get beat up really bad too. And the year after Ty won that last all around, he he wasn't really rodeoing seriously, and he just made the NFR in the in the saddle bronc riding. And he was sitting in the locker room afterwards, and he's like, "It was the first time he had ever been in the grand entry because the bareback riders." don't have to ride in the grand entry. They're getting ready to get on. And his comment was, it feels like I'm down here just riding in the grand entry. Like I, you know, I not sore, don't really have nothing to do. It's kind of, you know, I'm just really enjoying it. So it's interesting to look at it. He was used to competing in three events 
and everybody else is generally doing one. So didn't, uh, didn't you do a year where you did uh, bull riding to, to go after the all around? Say that again. Didn't you uh, do a year where you did bull riding and tried to get an all around title? I did win the all around. I won the yeah. all around 1997, but I didn't qualify for the national finals in the bull riding. Gotcha. Uh, you just have, you just have to win three thousand dollars in a second event to to qualify for the all around. So I won about nine thousand dollars that year riding bulls. I didn't get on. I think I only got on seven bulls, and and stayed on all of them. I rode all of them, placed on six of them, and won about nine thousand to qualify for the all around. So you missed your calling. You should have been a bull rider. <laughs> well, that's what I started off and got recruited to college. Uh, actually, as a bull rider, I was a three-time high school state champion bull rider. Um, but it's a lot harder on your body. And, you know, I made a choice to, to go with the bronc riding just because I was always sore riding bulls and I knew my back wouldn't hold up and take it. So I, you know, I think I made the wise choice. Well, Dan, that was going to be my question. Cause I grew up a farm kid. I was a member of 4-H and I think I know more about where my wife wants to have dinner than I do rodeo. It just, it wasn't one of those things that worked its way into my world i like to watch i never know what's going on until the bulls come out and when i see the guys <laughs> riding the bulls i see something that i mean a, a, a judge would have to order that done to me i can't imagine when when you when you go out there for the first time and you get onto one of those angry animals and you let it throw you around i mean what does that take in the few seconds before that first ride starts because it looks like it looks like hell on hooves to me when those guys go out there and do what they do? Well, it's definitely a mindset. It's, um, you have to, I, number one, I think you need to be young, but you kind of, you almost have to be bulletproof and have that mentality. And you don't really watch the injuries or watch, you know, it wasn't an, I quit riding bulls in 1992 and never got any, never got on any for five years until I, I got on some to try to win the all around in 97. So in that five years, I started watching the event a lot closer <laughs> of, as how many close calls there were and, you know, a hoof landing right next to your, your head or right next to your chest. And, uh, it changes, you know, my, my mental aspect changed towards the sport. It's like, man, what, what was I thinking when I was getting on bulls? But when I was getting on bulls, especially in college, I really craved it and just, you know, it's definitely an adrenaline deal and kind of a. Yeah, it's a different mindset for sure. Well, and we just had this story go viral uh, here this last week with the uh, a bull rider got kicked and his father actually was in the ring, covered him up, and, and it was a near miss. I mean, the bull, bull got close, and dad jumped on top of the rider, and it occurred to me immediately, I looked at my son and said, well, there's another reason you're not bull riding because <laughs> I'm not jumping on top of you to save you if you fall um, because that's all I've ever seen. Uh, I've, I've always been on the spectator side of it and the near misses and even the not near misses, the good rides, the good rides, the best rides in bull riding to my eye still look like a car accident. To me, bareback riding is even worse when a guy rides, you know, the guys riding today are, are riding phenomenal. First off, like they sit up and get a hold with their feet and they make it look easy. But that bareback riding is a brutal event too. Um, but bull riding is, you know, I agree. Like, and the bull riding, it, at least saddle bronc riding, I felt once you learn to, it's kind of a, a steep learning curve. Bronc riding is really hard to learn, but once you learn it, there's so much timing. It's almost like riding a bicycle. 
where it actually gets easier. Bull riding never gets easier or bareback riding. Like bulls just keep getting ranker and ranker <laughs> yeah. as you move up in levels. So by the time you get to the, you know, the NFR, or, you know, the guys riding at these PBR events, them bulls are just incredible. I mean, they're incredible. Well, I know you're not immune to getting beat up on the back of a bareback horse because I saw you do it at uh, a national finals when it, uh, you got you got beat up in a shoot pretty bad down there. You, I, I don't know what year that was, but I remember seeing it and, and uh, I think you were busted up a little bit. Yeah, actually, the first go around, I had a horse flip over in the shoots with me and separated some ribs. And, and it then was you got to go I another nine on. nights after that. Oh. Yeah, so I got on. Well, I got on that night. Actually, that was the first year that we were that I was signed with DeWalt. So, and I was a tenth guy. So they always the last five guys always go in reverse order. So whoever's winning the world goes goes last. And I was winning the world at the time. And this horse squished me. And they had to pull me out. And I was laying on the back of the chutes, and they didn't have nobody else to go to because everybody else had ridden. So the camera stayed on me for, I don't know what the time amount was, but when I ended up getting on the horse and competing and afterwards the DeWalt guys came to me and said, that was awesome. Like the camera was on you for 47 <laughs> seconds or something. They're calculating how much, you know, promotion time they got. They're like, if you could just do that every single night, it'd just be wonderful. <laughs> But it was that was probably one of my more more painful years at the national finals. And then my last year of competing there in, in 2006, um, I was just beat up going in. My neck was in really bad shape, back, and it was uh, it just wasn't any. It took the fun out of it. When you're that beat up, having to get on every night, it it can definitely take the fun out of the event. Well, and, and Dan, to this day, I assume if you meet a new doctor and they do an x-ray of any part of your body, they've got questions. Um, you know, what is the, you know, these years down the road, what is the medical toll like, uh, uh, you know, from head to toe? Personally, it's not bad. I, I did break an ankle or broke my uh, foot pretty bad in 2004. And that's kind of what brought about the end of my career. And that's the only injury that this still affects me to this day is that foot injury. The rest of my body is actually kind of healed up over the years, I believe. Um, so I, you know, I try to, I, when my back starts getting bad, I, you know, I'm getting old enough that I kind of think about what I'm doing and, and try to take a little better care of myself, but actually physically I'm doing pretty good, but I have had x-rays and stuff done. There's a lot of old breaks, but I think that anybody who's in a really physical um, lifestyle probably has some of that, you know, some of them old injuries, they come back and might show a crack or a break somewhere here and there. Now you did, uh, come out of retirement for, for a, uh, it was the American down there in the big arena in Dallas. <laughs> and, uh, I remember watching that, that rodeo on TV. It was a big special event. That was the first time they had it. And, uh, I, I, you almost, I remember seeing an interview or something with you and it almost sounded like you were reluctant to go do that event, but it was so big. You had to be a part of it. Yeah, I had the opportunity to do it. And it was, you know, I was riding for a million dollars, which, you know, I'd never been able to do that before. And, what caused me to say yes was looking back at my bull riding. I quit riding bulls in 92, hadn't been on one for five years. Came back, didn't get on any practice bulls, but I, I was able to go for seven for seven riding bulls. So the bronc riding deal, when that American opportunity came up, it had been about 10 years or about five or might have been seven years since I'd been on a, 
a saddle bronc course, I thought, well, I could probably do it again. You know, I was able to do it in the bull riding. So I went and got on a few practice horses and I realized really quickly that I probably should not have signed on to the deal. <laughs> <laughs> Having to quit getting on practice horses because I need to save my body for the actual event. <laughs> and then it didn't go very well. So I, it that was one. And once I had, once I had committed to it and said I was going to do it, you can't really back out. So uh, that was probably where the reluctancy came from. <laughs> and Dan, you've also had some experience in crossover events. We just wrapped up uh, like the least viewed Olympics of all time. But I know that uh, in, in 02, you went to Salt Lake uh, as a part of that cultural event at the 2002 Winter Games. When you take rodeo to a place that is not a typical rodeo venue, what was that like? Well, it was in Salt Lake or just north of there. To me, it just seemed like a regular rodeo. Um, you know, I think a lot of the locals attended it. And because we were kind of removed from the actual Olymp, a lot of the Olympics, and I didn't realize how spread out everything is, I guess at any Olympics, you know, there was stuff going in, going on downtown Salt Lake City. A lot of the skiing events was going on in Park City, Utah. So everything was just kind of really spread out. Um, we did get to go down to the, you know, kind of down to the Olympic village, I think they call it kind of go through everything. So that, it was a neat experience, but competition wise, it just seemed like a, a regular rodeo because the guys we were competing against because it was just United States versus, versus Canada. It was the guys that we competed with all the time anyway. Now the, uh, after all these years, um, rodeo is, is in so many ways, just a big family. I mean, no matter where you go, uh, especially if you travel the country, like you have done through your career, uh, you go to rodeos now, what's it like to, uh, to, to be Dan Mortensen and to go, go back behind the shoots and to, to walk through and see rodeo people and pickup men, those type of things when you go there. Well, nowadays I go to there, go to rodeos and a lot of the guys that are riding, I rodeoed with, you know, during my career. So Rod Hay has three boys. Dawson's gone to the finals last couple or couple times. He's doing well. His other two boys, both ride Bronx, are doing well. Uh, you know, Zeke Thurston's won the world a couple times. I rodeoed with his dad, Skeeter Thurston. And then the Wright boys are, are doing really well. I rodeoed with their dad, Cody. So it's, it's funny, even I went to Red Lodge this year and, uh, Sage Newman, who made the national finals this year, his dad, TJ, who was a really good friend of mine and I rodeoed with in high school. He's from Melstone. Him, TJ and I sat on the back of the chutes and visited the whole time. So I go and visit with the dads now and uh, watch <laughs> the boys get on. And then speaking of those travels, I mean, this is a show we talk about life here in Montana. And of course, Scott and I both, you know, live here by choice. You, you move around the country, you see a lot of things, and you realize how lucky we've got it. As you traveled around, was there a place that you saw, a place you visited, and, and you thought, you know what, I could, I could live here? Or was it always, were you always coming back to Montana? Um, well, I was definitely always coming back to Montana. I did look at property... You know, early in my career, I looked at property down in Texas around Stephenville. There was a lot of people that lived down there. But it was just because we were down there for about three months in the winter. Mm -hmm. And it would have been a, a place I could just winter. And then later in my career, I actually looked at some, was looking for a place out in like Washington. Um, 
but I, when it came down to it, there was no question where I wanted to live and, and I'll never leave the state of Montana. I love it here. Love the people. And, uh, you know, anything I looked at would have been just for a short period or piece of the year. So Mon- I mean, Montana is my home and I love it here. And what is your, uh, your biggest memory of the entire rodeo? I know you've got tons of them. I mean, but, but if you had to pick a moment, if you had to pick one that kind of just stands out as, as something in your career that was, that was unique, memorable, that you, you'll never forget. And it's at the top of the list. Is there anything like that? There isn't really. I mean, I had a wonderful career. I, I rodeoed professionally for 17 years. Um, and to me, it was just a whirlwind. Like, kind of get sucked in and it's its own little world because you're around the same people um you know you you travel a ton but it's a lot of the same places every year you know that you're going to the same places but it's it's almost like you get removed from reality so it was uh, it was so hard when i got done rodeoing and and it wasn't mentally that i wanted to be done my body was done which that was kind of my goal. I wanted to go really hard, rodeo hard, give everything I had. And then when I physically was done, I just wanted to be able to walk away from the sport. And I was able to do that with no regrets, but it is definitely a lifestyle change. Cause when you get done rodeo and you just get spit out of the whirlwind, everybody else keeps going. They're still rodeoing. And I come back here and uh, it was very, it was very difficult to kind of integrate back into the local area um because all of my stories it was almost like all my stories were the band camp stories like every single <laughs> one of my stories was about rodeo because that's what i lived ate drank from the time i was about 11 years old so to come back and integrate in with a different group of people and and kind of live a different life it was it was difficult that was probably the hardest thing i noticed when i got done rodeoing well, rodeo, rodeo is a, uh, I feel it's an understated uh, sport on the pinnacle of athletes and things, and I think it kind of gets lost when it when it deserves a lot more credit. And in the state of Montana, uh, you can take the best football players of all time, the best baseball players of all time, and and the, your accomplishments, Dan, are right up there with them. You you're you're uh, you can stand among the greatest athletes in this state, and we appreciate you taking your time to be with us today. Well, thank you guys for having me.